Uh, we are in Genesis beginnings. We are um, just finishing up chapter 6, and we're going to move then in a minute to chapter 7 as we're talking about the flood. So let's bow for prayer. There should be outlines on the table, pens if you need them, and uh, we'll begin uh, with the latter part of chapter 6 in just a moment. Father, you are good to us. And we thank you, and we love you, and we adore you, and we thank you for your precious word that instructs us and guides us. And so I pray that from Genesis today you would speak to our hearts. I pray that we would understand your word, that we would understand what you are saying to us, and that we will understand what you want us to do. And I pray that our lives will be a reflection of the love of Christ I thank you for everyone who's here. Thank you for the good food. Use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. And may we be your faithful servants in all things. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, we're finishing up just tying together the loose ends of chapter 6, the the flood, Noah and and the flood. We've not finished with the flood at the end of chapter 6, but kind of introductory part of that. So uh, we know that obedience marked... Noah's life, we have clearly seen that. Uh, the building of the ark required planning and uh, engineering and sweat and uh, patience. And we know that Noah was faced with hatred and even potential violence, especially when people began to figure out that Noah intended to save only himself and his family plus the animals. And so um, we come now to think about the righteous person, and that is what Scripture says, Noah was a righteous man. A righteous man. If someone says of you, you are a righteous person, please accept that as a profound compliment. For that is exactly what it is. To be called righteous uh, is, is an amazing thing. And Noah was a righteous man in the eyes of God. The righteous person rests on God's Word. Exactly what Noah did. The righteous person rests on God's Word. And even as culture marches the other way, the righteous person obeys God. Now, if you haven't but noticed, much of our culture is marching in the opposite direction from you. And so the challenge to us is, shall I turn around and join the crowd and march in the other direction, or will I obey God and His Word? That's the challenge that faces us in 2018 and beyond. The righteous person rests on God's Word. And we remember that Noah is doing exactly what God instructed him to do. To build this ark, this enormous boat, humanly speaking, makes no sense. It took him 100 years to build it. Very hard labor, very tedious, because he did not have the tools 
that you and I have available to us in 2018. So Noah had to do everything from the cutting of the trees to the preparing of the wood to all of the measurements and getting it just right as God instructed him so that this ark would float when the rains came and those rains could hardly be imagined by Noah, but he is obeying what God told him to do. So we come to chapter 7, and we find the deluge. The rains come just as God had promised. So I want us to look first at verses 1 through 4, and then we'll look at the rest of the chapter. Verse 1 of chapter 7, The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every clean, of, excuse me, of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. This is very sobering words. Now, we'll get to verse 5 in a minute, but for emphasis, I want to read it now, and then I'll read it again. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Just keeps on keeping on, continuing to obey God in all that God tells him to do. So in verses 1 through 4, we find God's final instructions seven days before the rains begin. And did you notice how willingly the animals come? They come willingly, which tells us that there is the supernatural action of God in these animals coming to Noah and Noah leading them on the ark. Now, movies may portray it one way. In fact, they do. But the fact of the matter is the Scripture lets us know that Noah was not having to get a stranglehold on a tiger in order to get the tiger on the boat. The animals came willingly. So do you see the miraculous moving of the power of God in every detail of what God had instructed Noah to do? And Noah was righteous and obeyed everything that God told him to do. So we pause for a moment with Noah in our minds and we reflect. Am I being obedient to all that God has told me to do in His Word? And as we reflect on His Word, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, if we are believers, encourages us, directs us, instructs us, nudges us, pushes us, shoves us. Whatever the Holy Spirit needs to do, He does. And so are we being obedient as Noah was to every word of God? And I think 
about myself and I reflect, because I can't reflect on you. I, I can only reflect on myself. And so I think if, if I choose to obey God in most things in my life right now, if I choose to obey God, I will not face persecution or ridicule or anything like that for, for obeying God. Now, there are some things that the Holy Spirit leads me to do which do put me in a position to be ridiculed or made fun of or, or persecuted. But the bulk of the things, I, I, don't face, I don't face anything bad for doing what God tells me to do. So with that in mind, am I being totally obedient to everything God wants me to do? And so I ask you to reflect on the same question. Um, I once heard a guy say, I don't know if it's original to him, but uh, say that he was not bothered by the parts of Scripture that he didn't understand. He says, I'm bothered by the parts of Scripture that I do understand. And meaning, there's plenty there that tells me what I'm supposed to do, and I don't always do it. So, take that to heart if you want to. All right, now, here are the instructions, and, and let's look at verses 5 through 24. And I, I really, when I read the chapter, I don't have uh, 25 minutes worth of commentary this is pretty self-explanatory. We'll say a few things, but just look carefully at what it says. Again, verse 5, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all the creatures that move along the ground, male and female. Here's the part. This is what lets us know about the miraculous work of God in the animals coming under the ark. And all the creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth, just like God said it would. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So you're beginning to see this is more than just a heavy rainfall. This is the supernatural movement of the hand of God in bringing the flood to the earth because God is moving not just in water falling from the sky, but He is moving in the deep, in the earth, in the rivers, in the oceans. He is moving to bring flood upon the earth. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife, and the wives of his three sons entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings, pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them, 
came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals were going in, the animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Have you ever visited, I'm not going to ask you if you've ever been in prison. You share that as you feel led. Have you ever visited in prison, perhaps prison ministry or in jail? If you have, Jerry, we've done that. If you've ever done that, the sound of the door, Jim, Hederly, you do that every Friday. Bill, every time, the sound of the door closing behind you has a certain sense of finality. And it's really not the sound that you want to hear as you enter in to do whatever it is God's called you to do. It just reminds you, I am blessed to know that in a little while I'll be able to go back out those doors. What an awful sound it would be to know I'm not going back out, well, at least for a long, long time. Imagine the sound of the doors, the door in the ark, bam, being closed. Big door. (laughs) Had to be a big door to get those animals in there. And it says, the Lord shut him in. Verse 17. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, And the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Now, my little note in my Bible says uh, 23 feet. Wow. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swam over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. We'll stop there for a moment. So the rains came. This is a massive act, as it were, of uh, decreation, if if you want to call it that, from creation to decreation. The the storm is supernatural. Uh, There's no question that God is doing an incredible thing here to cause the flooding of the whole earth. Nothing survives except those who are inside the ark. No survivors outside the boat. Um, I I think I saw a a movie sometime when I was a kid on Noah's Ark, and they portrayed people... uh, scratching and clawing at the boat, trying to, to save their lives and calling out to Noah to open the door and, and let them in. I, 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 the Bible doesn't say that happened. I have no idea, but it makes sense that it, that it certainly could have. 
And so what a, what a sobering, sobering moment that this is for everyone. Even those in the ark had to be deeply moved by what was happening. No survivors. God's judgment was not a whim. If you look, we looked at First Peter and Second Peter last week, I think maybe even the week before. In, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, it says, Jesus went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when, watch, don't miss this, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Noah had been warning people for over 100 years. 100 years. The building of the boat. You know people came along and said, Hey, you crazy man, what are you doing? Noah warned them. And no one outside the family believed him or believed what God was going to do. But this was not a whim on God's part. It tells us God waited patiently. In the Scripture it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is patiently wooing and calling. And then came the destruction. Scripture, so think about that. Scripture has been warning people of a Christless eternity for over 2,000 years. Some have listened, like you. Others have not. Question, was the flood worldwide? I believe absolutely that it was, and I believe that because that's the clear intent of Scripture. Second Peter, again appealed to Peter, Second Peter chapter 3, not only ask that question, in case you're wondering why would you ask that question, because there are some who don't believe that, choose not to believe that. They think, well, this was a localized flood. It may have covered the Middle East, for instance, but it didn't cover the whole world because that's too much to believe. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 5 through 7, But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that day was deluged and destroyed. By the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So it doesn't say part of the earth was flooded, nor does it say part of the earth will be reserved for fire in the day of judgment, the destruction of the ungodly. Clearly the biblical 
intent is that we understand that this was a universal flood, not a localized, a localized flood. So the focus on the text, even though we've been spending a lot of time talking about the water and the boat and the animals, the focus of the entire story of the flood is on Noah. He is the focal point of attention. Noah, who was, the Bible says, a righteous man because he obeyed everything God told him to do. He obeyed the Word of God. So as we think about the focus, what is, how would we describe the man or the woman saved from judgment? We would say that he is one who believed God by faith. That's what Hebrews tells us about Noah. By faith, he believed the word of God and was obedient. By faith, we believe what the Scripture says. By faith, we believe in Jesus, what he did for us on the cross and in the resurrection. By faith, we believe and are saved. So, let's go to chapter 8. Do we have time? Oh, we've got four entire minutes. Absolutely. So, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, the waters recede and God makes a covenant. The waters recede and God makes a covenant. Forty days of flood, rain, tumult of the deep, the supernatural hand of God... 150 days the water rises, 150 days the water recedes. Noah is the focal point, the righteous, obedient man of God, the kind of man God saves. Um, Lest you just think maybe I'm just saying that, let me give you Hebrews 11.7. By faith, Noah... When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Chapter 11, Hebrews, the Faith Hall of Fame. Now, uh, the first verse of chapter 8 is a hinge verse, so to speak, like a door hinge. It's a hinge verse. Because it's worse in chapter 6 and 7, it begins to get better in chapter 8. So it's a hinge. Here's, here's verse 1. But, uh, don't you love those biblical conjunctions? But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. That wind is the same one that blows here. So that when we get a good soaking rain, one day later you don't even know it rained. Because that wind blows and the ground dries out. And you say to your spouse, I thought it rained yesterday. And he or she says, it did. And you stomp on the ground and say, can't tell it. Well, God used the wind to begin to dry up the earth as the waters began to recede. Now, God remembers in that first verse means more than... God remembers. It's not like God forgot. God didn't forget anything. 
It really means God acts. God remembers that prompts action. It's a biblical way of saying God did something. God acts. So there are two other examples of that in Genesis alone. Uh, I would refer you to chapter 19, verse 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, He remembered Abraham. Now, don't think God had forgotten Abraham. He had not. It just means God, with Abraham in mind, is going to do something. He remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived, namely Sodom and Gomorrah. Another example of this remembering in Genesis is found in the 30th chapter in the 22nd verse. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. So God had not forgotten Rachel, but with Rachel in mind, God acts so that she is able to get pregnant and have a baby. So here, God remembers Noah and acts. He does something. What does he do? Waters recede. He restores the earth. Now, in the eighth chapter, we're going to see Noah's Noah's faithfulness. Let me let me just read a, just a few. Uh, I've already read verse one, so let's go to verse two. Now, the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone down. And on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the tenth month. And on the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. So we'll we'll stop there for a second. 150 days during the fifth month of this lock-in. Did you ever uh, participate in a lock-in when you were youth, maybe with your church youth group, a lock-in, or maybe you were a um, chaperone for a lock-in? I retired from lock-ins a number of years ago. I don't do those anymore. That's why we have the uh, youthful youth ministers to do the lock-ins. However, I do still go on the Agape mission trip, and so I'm locked in with the uh, 50 or so youth who are going with me in about two or three weeks. What am I thinking? And no, here. Anyway, it's fun. But here is a here is a lock-in. Noah and his family on the ark with the animals. Uh, did they get seasick? I don't, I don't know, but the smell of the animals would certainly have been. Uh... Now, don't they didn't don't think they didn't clean the stalls. I'm absolutely sure that they did. You know, just throw them overboard in the water and let it go. It's, that's an interesting five months if you've ever thought about it. it. Just makes the whole thing more miraculous to me. And they they land as the waters go down. They land and and the mountains of Ararat. That mountain range, Ararat was used to be it used to be what what used to be called Armenia now in in Turkey, and uh, there's going to be two more months before all this finally comes to an end. But Ararat is a region, not a single mountain. There is a range. It's what says the mountains of Ararat, 
So the complication that presents for us is we'd love to find the ark. We don't really know which of those mountains it landed on. And post-flood, we would need to know that that there is one of those mountains that is a, a volcano which erupted as recently as 200 years ago. So I know that there have been claims to find the ark. I don't know. I don't know what I haven't been there. So I don't know what to think of all that. I've I've read all that. And I've read I've read all the stuff about why are there seashells on the top of the Rocky Mountains? Because, yep, I, I don't makes perfect sense to me. If there's a worldwide flood, then there ought to be seashells somewhere. I have no problem with that at all. I've chosen not to delve into that, but rather stick to the text. But there are all kinds of proofs out there for the taking. We may someday find the ark. I'm, I'm not expecting that. It doesn't really matter to me because I believe the story 100% whether the ark's ever found or not. But I don't know if it'll be found. You know, the thing that would would last that long uh, would have to be a work of God. And plus the volcano, glacier movements on the Ararat Mountains, I don't, I don't know. But I will simply say it doesn't matter because by faith I believe exactly what the Bible says. And I believe that it happened just like the Scripture describes it. So next time we're going to pick up with verse 6. We're going to look at the, we're going to see the patience of Noah. He's a patient man. We're going to see that and we'll reach the point where they leave the, the ark and then what happens? We are in chapter 8 of a 50-chapter uh, 50, uh, 50 book. So, um, what do you think? About 2019, do you think, maybe? <laughs> We're getting there. So, uh, what's today? The 16th? Thank you. I'm just writing the date for next week down. I just need a little help. Okay. I love the story of Noah and the ark. Just amazing, fascinating what God did. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your precious word, the power of your word, the authority of your word. Thank you for uh, the faith of a man like Noah. And Father, the fact that the scripture called him a righteous man is a challenge to our hearts. I want to be known as a righteous man. I want to be obedient to your word in its entirety. And I believe I'm surrounded by people who want the same thing. So I pray, Father, that in our fleshly weakness, you will strengthen us and that truly we will be men and women who are obedient to everything that the Bible says. Now go with us from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon.